0: Welcome back, people. It's episode number 17 of the Live Fire Cooking Podcast. We have our usual guests, hosts here today. We've got Derek from Over the Fire Cooking, Christy from Girls Can Grill, and myself, Jonathan from Brio. And um, we'll start off this week's episode talking about some things that we've cooked recently. We'll start off with Christy. Why don't you tell us about something you cooked in the last week that uh, you're excited about?
1: I am super excited that I, I cooked up, I smoked up a big slab of beef ribs. Um, now, there's a few different types of beef ribs. I went with the beef plate ribs. Those are the ones that look, people sometimes call them dinosaur bones because the bones are like a foot long. The rack usually has about three bones in them. Um, my technique for smoking them is I usually cook them about 250 degrees, 275 degrees, and I just go straight for about five or six hours until they reach an internal temp of 203 degrees. I don't actually wrap them. I know, some people do. But what I find with beef ribs is they are super fatty. They're, they come The plate ribs come from the belly of the cow. So kind of think of like bacon when you're thinking about pork, how fatty that is. So the plate ribs of the cow are similar consistency, but just really beefy. Um, so when you put a nice rub on them and then you smoke them, you're going to get a really splendid bark on it. And then inside, it's just going to be luscious and it doesn't need to be wrapped because all of that fat is just going just gonna to disintegrate throughout the meat. And they're, they're super fantastic. So that was my weekend cook. But I did want to share with everybody that um, when you hear beef ribs or you see beef ribs on the Internet, and then you go to your grocery store. It can be a little bit confusing. There's a few different types of beef ribs out there. The most common type of beef ribs that you're going to find are beef back ribs. Those come from the backside of the cow where the back of the ribs are. I personally don't care for those types of ribs as much. They're not as meaty. Um, the meat's kind of just dispersed a little bit and um, you know you get a little bit more, be- more bone to meat ratio than you do actual meat to bone ratio. Um, more commonly, you will find the chuck short ribs. Those are the ones that still have bones, but they're only about two or three inches long. Um, Those are really nice as well. And you can smoke those up You can braise them as well. Um, Those are pretty common ribs. You can also find them boneless, which is, again, just basically cut from the chuck primal of the cow. They just don't have the bones with them. Um, When I do cook those, I do like to wrap those and get a a braise on those just to add a little bit more juiciness to those. And then lastly, one of my also favorites is the um, Korean short rib, which is when you basically take the chuck short ribs and instead of cutting them into those two to three inch pieces, you cut them... um, I don't want to say on the bias. I'm not sure how to describe the direction um, over the radio, Um, but you're going to cut them so that the actually three bones stay together and then you're slicing along. So you've got these super thin slices. They're like the size of bacon basically, Um, but they cook up really fast. So you don't have to do a long cook with those. You can just season those up. And I know Derek cooks these all the time, season them up and then just throw them on and, and cook them nice and hot and fast. So that's a little beef rib tutorial this morning.
0: Thank you very much for the beef rib tutorial there, Christy. That was actually interesting for me. I have a question on that. So um, what is a flanking, like, like you know, the short ribs where we cook them direct, where they're like, you know, a half an inch or, you know, three quarter of an inch thick. What is that? Where is that coming from?
1: That is, that's the flankin rib so that's the last ones I was just talking okay, about same thing. Um, also called Korean short gotcha. ribs yeah okay. um, yeah but that's when you see them in the grocery store that is a lot of times what people will see on the packaging is flankin, and that's the style of cut got it okay. and you, so can get them,
2: you can get them thicker right Christy
1: yeah yeah you can get them thicker you can get them thinner um, I I personally like them about a half inch um, at the max just because I like to cook them up really fast
0: got it okay so so that's basically the the two sides of the same coin same same cut same same uh yeah. same thing awesome except, those, for, except for thickness yeah for sure because I think Derek I think we I cooked those with you for the first time and then I've been doing them a lot since then because they're so easy and fast to do um and you can do a like a rib cut in you know a minute and a half you know if it's if they're half mm-hmm. inch uh, and it's definitely something that most people I don't think have seen like a lot a lot of people that I've at least cooked it for it's like wow what's that um and you get that amazing flavor from the bone in uh a fast direct cut rather than typically a bone cut like that, um, is more of a low and slow. So that's, that's what I like.
1: And they have got, they've got some nice tender fat on it. And I actually like it when it like burn burns up a little yeah. bit and gets extra crispy. Yeah. And it's just a nice little nugget when you take a bite. Yeah.
2: They are really fun. I, I honestly, uh, every time I like go to a place where they cook, uh, like a or open fire cooking in some way, um, I try and find a way to get the, the short ribs because they're always better.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I, yeah. I mean, they, they cook them pretty low and slow even too. like in South America, those, because there's so much fat on them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you do have to cook them a little slower just so you can render that fat while not like overcooking it at the same time. Christy, I wanted to ask you a question. What yeah. is different? Cause I've gotten this question a lot, but what is different from cooking beef ribs than pork ribs.
1: Um, you know they're they're a lot thicker, um, different different protein, and it depends. Again, it depends on what cut you're using. If you're going with a beef back rib, you can cook that really similarly to a pork rib, like a baby back or a spare rib, because it's it is a thinner. Um, It's a thinner style. But when you're looking at like a plate rib, that is so thick. I mean, that's almost like brisket thick so that you just have to cook it a lot longer. And then when you're doing your short ribs, same thing. They usually stand two inches high, maybe two and a half inches high. So when you're talking about a regular pork rib, you're only looking at, you know, like maybe an inch tall. Um, so it just has to do with the, the amount of meat that's involved. And then flavor wise, you know, I usually tend to go a little bit sweeter on my pork ribs with my beef ribs. I I like more of a traditional salt, pepper, garlic type of flavor. And what about,
2: um, membrane on the back?
1: Um, yeah, that's a good question. So, <clears throat> excuse me, with the beef ribs, sometimes I pull it and sometimes I don't. This last one that I just did this weekend, I actually didn't pull it. When I serve beef ribs, um, I'll slice them, and but they're huge. There's way too much for one person to eat. And traditionally, you're just going to eat the top half of that – or actually, it's the whole top, not just the half, but the top portion of – of the bone is where all the meat lies. So that bottom part where the membrane is, it's not that you're going to bite through it with a pork rib. You're going to slice it and you're going to hold the bone and you're going to bite through. So you need to get through that membrane on the bottom with your bottom teeth with a beef rib. You're uh, except for Instagram, you're not going to pull up a big beef rib and just take a bite. So having that, that membrane on the back doesn't matter. It'll just slice off when you're eating it with a knife and fork.
2: Yeah, that's always a good point. I, uh, I've made that mistake because we because they're so heavy and really fatty that membrane really does actually help keep it together. Um, mm-hmm. They do start yep. falling apart. All right. Last question, because I am curious. Um, when it comes to beef ribs, uh, are, what part of the trimming process, like can you tell me a little bit about your trimming process for it?
1: Yeah, sure. So the, the plate ribs specifically that I was cooking with this weekend, um, similar to a brisket, I trimmed all the fat off the top layer. I didn't. It, there's so much intramuscular fat already in the beef ribs. You don't need that extra layer of fat on top to flavor it. So I sliced all of it off the top so that it was nice and smooth and you just had the red color meat. And then my rub was directly applied on top of that so that the bark with the bite, you're not getting a piece of fat when you take that bite. And then on the bottom, I, like I said, with this time, I didn't pull any membrane. I didn't do any trim. So it's just making sure that that top is nice and clean. Was it
2: your specialty beef competition rub?
1: <laughs> it wasn't this time. I have an actually I have a short rib rub on my website that I love and it actually includes some um, minced garlic and olive oil. So it's a kind of a wet dry rub. Um, I take the salt pepper. I think there's garlic powder, paprika, maybe some cayenne in there. Um, but then I also add some moisture to it with the olive oil and the the minced garlic and I kind of press that all over wow. it.
0: All right, I'm done. I've asked all I I'm right. done. I have one <laughs> <laughs> I have one more question for Christy. We're really grilling you, aren't we? <laughs> dad
1: joke.
0: I'm, I'm five weeks away from kid number two. So the dad jokes are going to keep right on rolling. Um, so my question, <laughs> nice. Christy, is when it back to the compare it, comparing um, your beef ribs with your pork ribs, the low and slow versions of both. Um, do you do any difference when it comes to, uh, the wood species you're smoking them with? Do you treat them the same? Do you run hickory both or, or do you have a difference in, uh, in, in the smoke you like for the two uh, species?
1: Great question. So for beef, I traditionally go with um, hickory, cherry, and post oak if I can get it, um, or red oak since I'm closer to California. Um, with pork, I traditionally go with pecan and hickory. Uh, occasionally, I'll throw cherry in there, but more often I'll throw like an apple or something in there. So hickory is a base, um, and then they just both get accentuated with gotcha. a little bit different. That makes from sense.
0: There. So you're, you're basically you're doing a blend for both, but the blends are different for the different uh, cuts. Awesome. Yep. Sweet. Yep. Well, that was very informative got a nice deep dive on the ribs there. Uh, Derek, how about you? Have you cooked something recently that you are hyped on?
2: Well, I actually, this week, um, so for those that don't know, uh, my wife and I, we bought a new house. Uh, so we're really excited. And uh, if you didn't know either, um, we were renting a house and they the our landlords were super generous uh, and allowing me to have as many grills and cooking devices that I did, um, and they were big fans. Uh, but all have to say, I finally have a yard, um, and I finally am able to build a fire pit. Uh, crazy to think that, like, you have all these grills or whatever you you like, dedicate a portion of your life to open fire cooking, and only three years later, am I able to actually build a fire pit. Um, so I actually did that today and it's super easy. I posted a video of a recipe that I did, uh, this past week and everybody wanted to know how I actually built the fire pit. I think I'm going to probably do a video at some point showing how I did it. it. It's so simple. I literally just went to Lowe's or to Home Depot. Um, you can get, uh, like safe concrete fire bricks, um, or, You know, I don't even know exactly what was in them. They just said that uh, they were uh, fire safe. Um, And so, and you do want to pay attention to that, especially for the rock or any form of uh, rock that is around hot surfaces. A lot of them have a lot of uh, water built in or like inside the rock. So when they heat up, they'll start steaming. And then when they start steaming, they'll get really hot. And then they sometimes can explode. Uh, So, You just want to be careful about the rock that you get. Um, But I just built it. I think I used like 40 bricks and I just did a 10 layer um, or a 10 circle uh, up four layers. Uh, And then I filled, I dug it out uh, a little bit to put it in the ground um, and tried to level it off as best as I could. And then I put probably about two inches worth of... um, Lava rock on the bottom, uh, out here on the East coast. Um, this is not me saying you should do this, but you probably don't need to worry about lava rock. I I really think that when it comes down to that, uh, all I was just trying to prevent and people should be aware of this. We should just do a whole episode on fire safety, but especially on the West coast. Um, if you build a fire on the ground it can actually heat up the ground enough to cause a fire underneath you. Um, And so the lava rock does a great job because there's almost no moisture inside of it. It won't pop. It can withstand massive amounts of heat. Uh, So putting that layer of lava rock on the bottom really helps to prevent the ground from taking any brunt of the heat. Uh, And then it really helps to prevent the ground uh, from basically turning onto fire um i know that uh we i've had a few friends go out west coast especially where it's really dry and they'll build fires and you are told that you have to put that fire out probably like four to five if not eight feet away from where you started it um so just making the ground wet christy you're a park ranger am i right (laughs)
1: you know i'm I'm believing you but i i I don't have any experience with that i've not built my own um fire pit on the ground i know we we require people obviously to extinguish them when they leave but um we don't have a lot of vegetation in nevada so i would think maybe the drier climates where they have some vegetation i could definitely see that um our ground here is like solid concrete yeah and
2: i think that some of it probably comes down to Um, places where you wouldn't expect it, like the PNW, where you think, oh, they get so much rain, but they have a lot of pine, uh, needles. Um, and those bed of pine needles can feel like ground, but they can go probably for, you know, a couple inches down and you have no idea. Um, fire, and it, so it can also, anyway. it
0: can also travel with root systems. And so if you have, especially mm. in a very dry climate where you do have, you know, bigger trees that have extensive root systems and then a tree dies and there's, there's underneath the ground, there's dead, uh, basically dead wood running in a tracer pattern throughout underneath the ground. Your fire can travel following those roots as well. Um, it has yeah, to be like in very perfect situations because obviously it doesn't have much oxygen, but fire is is, can be, you know, it's crazy. If it, if it decides to do something, it's amazing how, you know, how, how dynamic of a, of a thing it really is.
2: Well, all that to say, I highly recommend if you're going to build a pit like that, just know your, um, kind of your fire restrictions, know what they really require of you know if you can even build a pit. Uh, and especially if you're going to put it on the ground, I definitely recommend putting some form of fire safe, uh, layer between the fire and the cold hard surface. Um, so all I'd say, I chose uh, lava rock. Um, it's really cheap. Honestly, the whole thing I was able to do for under like 150 bucks, um, and it, it's like incredible uh, to me now to th- to realize how how much uh, grilling ideas and things that I'm kind of open and able to start doing. Um, so one of the things that I did this past week, uh, well actually to take it back when I went out and hung out with Jonathan, um, out, out of Brio, when we cooked the venison a la uh, he had built a pit out there, um, that I, I relatively kind of mimicked. Uh, one thing about the pit was that there was no cement holding any of the brick, uh, on the fire pit together. And the fun part about that is, um, one it allows some air to kind of get through the fire pit uh through kind of just the small little gaps between the bricks Uh, so it definitely helps you to have a more consistent fire but the other thing is you can uh restack your bricks uh to prevent wind uh to really prevent a lot of stuff and help you to redirect the fire uh, however you need to so you can cook it Um, my first uh, my first recipe that i did this past week uh, was picanha on churrasco skewers. So it's top sirloin, very similar to what you would see at Brazilian style uh, Rodizio restaurants. And I was able to just season it with some salt and pepper and I put it into a C-shape. One little tip, I definitely recommend um, safely cutting into it so that your churrasco skewer can just slip through it really easily with a, a kind of a broader knife that really helps that you just kind of prevent anybody um, from getting hurt. Um, Just make sure that you're actually, when you use the knife point, have the stake as a C shape looking at you kind of like a C and then put the knife through it and then into your cutting surface of some type. Um, That way you don't get cut and it just really helps to speed up that process. So it glides right through and you don't end up with, um, you know, trying to force a piece of steak through a big, you know, Tarrasco skewer. So with that being said, I put them all together. The other thing is my Tarasco skewer has a little hole at the top of it. That really helps to put wire through and then wrap it tight. When meat starts to get cooked, it starts to contract and it's kind of losing a little bit of the juices and it's, you know, forming into the steak that we really love. But at the same time, it's losing uh, surface tension on that trasco skewer. So you end up having steak that wants to slide down and basically into your fire or whatever. So making sure that you have some form of a food safe kind of wire that you can wrap around it uh, and kind of wrap so it, it keeps it up. It doesn't need to be super, super tight, but it definitely helps to make sure that your steaks stay on the skewer where they're supposed to be. Um, I built my fire and I kind of built it in a way so that it prevented the wind. I put a majority of the bricks on the one side and then I actually skewered it, seasoned it, and then I put it into the ground leaning over the fire. Um, and man, it, it probably took about 45 minutes to cook it. We did it a little slower uh, so that I could actually render the fat on the outside cap a little bit more. But it was honestly one of the more delicious picanha that I've ever had. Um, I, I eat a lot of picanha because it's just a favorite of mine in our house. And this one was amazing. I mean, with that churrasco skewer, you feel like you're, you know, in, in Brazil, like eating something really amazing. Uh, and then at the same time, it's just in your backyard. And it really is not that difficult to do, especially if you already have some form of a fire pit. So, I highly recommend it. The Tarasco skewers, I mean, you can you can figure out what you need to do. Um, but there's some uh, great ones from Norcal Ovenworks. Um they make some really beautiful Tarrasco skewers so you can go and grab those online. But at the end of the day, I thought it was amazing. I paired it with a chipotle garlic chimichurri and sliced
0: into it and it was it was delicious. Yeah, it looked yeah <laughs> it looked fantastic <laughs> and I, I think that's it's definitely like your signature if, if i could say that's one of your signature cuts for like as derek is over the fire cooking it's definitely that and so seeing it deployed in the new you know your new system was awesome um one yeah. thing that's cool about uh fire pit you know homemade grill system like that is um kind of like at social feast is it's very much a dual fuel type of system so you're not limited like you can do you can get a fire going like this just using wood you can throw in some you know, some lump charcoal to stabilize it a little bit. You can throw in some chunks. You can throw in some chips if you wanted to to get a little bit extra smoke. Like it's just you're not limited at all um, when it comes to the fuel source you're using. I mean, I'm assuming you wouldn't want to use pellets, but other than that, uh, you can really mix and match um, in there, and it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's not really designed for or against anything. So that's that's one thing that's cool about um, that style
1: yeah and i really loved how you like how modular it is when i saw that you kind of had the the bricks that you've taken them off of the front of the ring and built them up the back and built like this little pyramid for that wind block i was like that is super genius like we needed that at social feast when our hog was getting that direct wind so yeah that was that was really cool how you can adapt with your climate yeah
2: i think that it's just small little things that definitely help um and You never really know until you try it or you never really know what are those small things until you really get into it. So I definitely recommend at least doing your research on potentially having a fire pit in your backyard or wherever you are that you don't actually cement the, um, the brick all the way together. So you can kind of move them around however you need to. For sure.
1: And with the, with the picanha, you basically, when is the time, I, I have to admit, I've actually still never <laughs> made it, <laughs> but when is the moment that you know that it's time to flip it over? And then is there a process where you're, you're, you just cook it once on each side, or are you kind of rotating it throughout to, your cook? To be
2: honest, I'm not really a big fan of trying to time things out when it comes to the flip. I, I really try and get as mm-hmm. best of a crust as I can. And then I flip it uh, and go equal amounts of time on the other side. And then I really just go back and forth until it's fully and evenly cooked. Um, and nice. so I think it was-
1: probably- And you, you go for that medium rare, probably 130, 135, or a little uh, bit less than when that? When it
2: comes to the Trosca skewer, the one thing that you have to think about is that the, the metal on the sword will actually heat up. So it's gonna sure. cook it a little bit on the inside. So I ended up actually dropping it off at about like, one seventeen to one twenty, I believe. And then I'll let it rest for like fifteen minutes. So I think that that's the that's the thing. I actually even recommend undercooking it. And then what you can do is slice off pieces and then put it back over the fire to continue cooking. Right. And then slice yeah. off more pieces and then just kind of do it that traditional Rhodesia style.
0: Right. right. That's great. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that just adds to the experience. Well, thanks for
0: giving us that update on that whole project, Dick. I think for a lot of people, um, it's a great window into ways we can be, you know, use ingenuity to kind of create our own little cooking experiences along with some of the products that we buy and, you know, some of the more plug and play styles. I think it's awesome. Um, Christy, uh, you were going to update us on how, or update us, explain, give us a little bit of, of insight and training into how do you break in a new grill? Um, could you, could you dive into that for us now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you're not building your own grill in the back in the backyard, um, you might just be going to the store and, and picking one out and it, you know, people as it's, hopefully starting to get a little bit warmer, although it's 30 degrees here in Las Vegas, t- which is crazy. Um, but as people are starting to think about grilling season, they're trying to figure out which grill to buy. And then they get that grill home, they're all excited to use it. And then maybe that first cook isn't exactly what they dreamed that it would be. Um, one of the key things that I recommend, and I've learned this a few years ago, is to do the biscuit test. And what that means is that you're going to buy a cheap can of biscuits, you know, those kinds that you just pop on open. And as you get your grill lit up, you're going to set them around in different places on your grill grate. And if you've got multiple levels of grill grates, then buy a couple cans and kind of test the different levels and then fire the grill up, do it like you would cook a biscuit, you know, maybe 350 degrees set your grill for that temperature and then just keep an eye on it every two minutes or so. Open the lid and look at those biscuits and see where you're finding your hot spots. So, a grill that I was just, um, that I just got that was new that I was testing out, I did that and I observed that the bottom rack on the right side was super hot. On the left side was. They were they weren't cooking as fast and then in the center it was a beautiful cook and then once I went up to the middle racks, you know, then the cook was a little bit more even on the top and the bottom. But that that right side, they, they got too hot too fast on the bottom. So it's a lot better to experiment with that and realize that as you're cooking a cheap biscuit than you are an expensive brisket. So I had a friend who has the same grill. He tested it out but he tested it out with meat first. He was like, oh I'm so excited to use this. He threw his meat on and unfortunately he put it on that right side of that grill and it got a little bit too charred too fast before the inside of the meat um, got that full cook. So that's just a really cheap way to figure out how your grill works. And just just be mindful that every grill works a little bit differently. And you're going to have a hot spot in different spots and and just find out where those are. Um, Another key point when you're breaking in a grill is you want to spray it down with some cooking spray, like some you know, the crisp spray Crisco or Pam or whatever, um, that's going to season your grill. And you want to do that before your actual first cook that you're going to eat. As these grills are manufactured, as they're built, as they're made, you know, they're going to have some residue on there from just all of the assembly. And so by spraying it, it's going to help season it, but it's also going to help cook off any of that um, residue. So do that first. I usually let them cook for 30 minutes to an hour at, like I said, 350 or 400 degrees, just get all that cooked through. And then once you do that and you do your biscuit test, then you should be good to go with putting on your first piece that's, of meat.
0: That's uh, Thank you for that, Christy. That's very, I would never have thought to do that. Dummy test on the bi- on the biscuit or something that's you know is throwawayable. <laughs> I think I think that's probably a great tip for <laughs> right. I think for a lot of us when we buy a new grill we're super excited about it obviously and so it's the temptation is just you know go buy a really nice piece of meat and toss it in there and that's a great cautionary tale I think. Um, go ahead.
1: Yeah, because I find that a lot of people who who feel that they don't know how to grill or they get frustrated with grilling, it's because they had that one bad experience or even a repeated experience to where, gosh, why does not my meat look like the pictures I see on Instagram? Why is it that I burn it every time? Or why is my chicken dry? Or why why did this happen? And it's really about what, and it's what this show is about, is understanding fire, understanding heat, and understanding how that grill works. And once you kind of master that and know your grill, then you're going to be able to make those Adapt adaptations um, and just you know change things up so that you can figure out. Okay, this is how I'm, I like chicken on this grate. I like ch- I like my brisket over here to the right or to the left. And once you can can adapt like that, then you're you're gonna you're for gonna sure. really up your game Definitely. big time.
0: And I think
2: Christy, what do right you there. think is a a good first cook for people, especially breaking in a new grill?
1: People who've never grilled before or just breaking in the um, grill.
2: Both. Either. Either.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess, so I think the fattier the meat, the better experience you're going to have for the first time. So if you're grilling versus smoking, I I say start with a ribeye. It's really hard to mess up a ribeye um, because it is so fatty. And even if you overcook it, it's still going to taste pretty good. Um, So I say go with a, a... A fattier piece of meat. If you're smoking, um, you might want to try a reverse sear ribeye. Again, then you're only going to be out like 10 bucks or something. It's not going to be something that's uber expensive. I don't recommend, as much as I love chicken and pork, I wouldn't necessarily start with those meats because unless you're really you understand the main concept to making those meats awesome is cooking them to 165 for chicken and 145 for pork. If you if you haven't stuck on that concept and you're just throwing it on and then you think, oh, this looks nice and grilled and then you pull it off. And if you pull pork off at like 180, you're not going to enjoy the experience. So um, for somebody who's new, who doesn't have all that background information, I say start with, start with a nice fatty steak. Um, but if you are, if you do have your thermopen already or some other kind of probe, and you understand meat temps, then then sure, go with a pork chop or go with a chicken breast. Yeah. But steak, steak, you pretty much can't fail. <laughs> um, a question
0: or a comment I would have too. In addition, when it comes to breaking in uh, grills, if it's a direct heat grill like a charcoal grill or, or a fire pit like what we build, it's a good idea to the before you put any food on it that you get nice and piping hot. Um, do a nice, good, heavy burn. And the reason for that is just because if there's any anything left in from the production production process, any oils from welding or from anything like that, any paint residue if it's a painted product, um, just getting it nice and hot um, first allows that to kind of cure off, and then you know any residue that's that's on it all um, is gone. So that's that's another thing too. And um, for our products, at least, is is important to do before you before you cook on
1: yeah. And with your product too, I mean, the biscuit test could work on that. The The fact that you've got that awesome circle plancha around it to where you can sear meat. We did those pork chops on them when we were at social feast and you warned me, you're like, they get a little hot. So just, just be mindful. So same thing. If you want to practice before you put a piece of meat on there, throw something on there that's less expensive, whether it's a biscuit, which you probably want to oil the, the great or the the plancha section a little bit first, but just kind of test something that's a little less expensive until you learn it and you understand how it functions and then go on there and experiment Absolutely. with your different kinds yep, for
0: sure. That's great. I think that was some value adding information for people as we're looking. I think all of us, um, and this cold weather time of year are looking at the upcoming spring and summer and planning our backyards, planning our, you know, our, our grilling arsenal. And I think this is a good episode to kind of help equip that, um, process any final thoughts from uh from you derek
2: no i think uh again just get outside enjoy uh cooking over fire maybe right now make a plan on what you're thinking about doing for this year especially as uh, it is a little cold a little rainy in some parts of the uh, country so just get a plan together have fun i also think the only last thing i'll uh, add to what christy is saying um It does make a difference, the type of meat that you get, especially the quality. So if you're going to cook something and you want it to look (laughs) like Instagram worthy or whatever, uh, most of those guys are cooking wagyu. Uh, A lot of people are going crazy, uh, doing some crazy, crazy stuff. So there's a lot of great companies out there that you can get some really high quality meat from or local butcher shops. So definitely recommend don't skip out, skimp out on the meat uh, and expect the same results. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Go ahead, Chris. Good Grace. advice.
1: Yeah, and I, I and I would just add as people are getting ready for spring and are starting to pull out their grills, it would be good to do another burn off. Not you know, do a burn off when you first buy your grill, but do a burn off after the winter season as well. You don't know, you know, spiders could have gotten inside of there and some dust and some other stuff. So just do a quick burn off before you put that piece of meat on for there sure. as you get for ready sure. for spring. All
0: right, thanks, folks, for listening, and uh, thanks for joining us on this podcast. We'll see you next week for next week's episode.